Well, 24 verses. Uh, There's a lot here to turn over. Um, um, Just even with individuals' lives, and and J.K., you referenced this, uh, life is not always easy. (laughs) It's not always a bed of roses. And typically in someone's life, last words uh, are pretty significant. Um, Due to the really the finality (laughs) of those words, they usually offer a clear picture of someone's true heart and mind. Well, you have verse 5 in Psalm 31, and we're very familiar with verse 5 of Psalm 31. Uh, these are words that have been quoted at the end of individuals' life throughout history. Uh, you had Jeremiah, the prophet, who was captivated by this psalm. You see phrases of the psalm all throughout the book of Jeremiah, which is understandable when you consider the spiritual climate that Jeremiah ministered in. Uh, you have an an anonymous psalmist that's actually going to quote this psalm later in Psalm 71. We have a Savior. I mean, the last seven words that he he says from the cross is, Lord, unto you, right? I commit my spirit into thy hand. We'll talk about that in a second. Yet Stephen, right before his martyrdom in Acts 7, verse 59, he's going to say, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. These are going to be the last words of John Huss, Martin Luther, Philip Melanchthon, and many, many others. John Huss, or uh, otherwise known as the Goose, John Huss was sentenced to be burned at the stake some hundred years before the Reformation. Now, John Huss was sentenced to be burned at the stake because John Huss was protesting the Catholic Church's assault against the headship of Jesus Christ. And the bishop that was overseeing the ceremony... Um, of John Huss being tied to a stake and before lighting um, that fire, he said some pretty chilling words. He says, "Now, And now we commit thy soul, John Huss, to the devil. And now we commit thy soul, John Huss, to the devil. And then you had John Huss, who's tied to a stake, will very calmly reply, still full of warmth and life and peace and confidence. This will be his reply. He says, I commit my spirit into thy hands, Lord Jesus Christ. Unto thee I commend my spirit, which thou hast redeemed. Now, church, that's a, that's a rendered life right there. That's a rendered life of trust and peace. And when I, when I see a psalm like this, Psalm 31, and I see it spoken and lived out, and I see it spoken and lived out in the lives of other people throughout history, I step back as, Sinful, short-sighted, Wade Grubbs. I say, Lord, how does one establish a resolve like this to speak from such a place? Um, or, or more importantly, Lord, where does someone establish such a resolve to live like this? I mean, where does a, a, a rendered life come from? Well, in comes Psalm 31. I think that's where this is helpful tonight. So, this Psalm of David. It's a psalm, to reference what Becky was saying, it's for the choir director. It's a psalm that's not only meant to be expressed and declared from the mouths of God's people as they gather together. but I think more importantly, there would be the assembly that would gather together, not just to to speak this from their mouth, but to declare this from their hearts, right? And to thy hand, I commit my spirit. They, They collectively gathered with lives individually rendered unto the Lord with trust and confidence. And they they worshiped in and through this psalm. And so the heading is for the choir director. Now, uh, there are many, many things that we could turn over in 24 verses. I think just for the simplicity of our time tonight, 
uh, I think we're just going to chew on two, chew, chew on two things. Really kind of park the car, uh, in the parking space that has the moniker above it reserved for those who trust in God. We're going to pull into that space. It's going to have a, a, a plaque in front of us. This space is reserved for those who trust in God because that's really the theme of this psalm. Um, trusting in the Lord no matter what. Now, one of the ways that this resounding theme of trust really haunts me, but haunts me in a sanctified way, is through a word that you see throughout the psalm. It's a concept of hand. You see it over and over again. It's a repeating theme of hand. It screams to me. It rebukes me. It instructs me. It comforts me. And it does all those things in very emphatic fashion. Let's just look at uh, this running theme. Just scan through the psalm for a moment. Starting in verse 5. This idea, this notion of hand. And this is what will kind of frame part of which we uh, dwell on this evening. So these words that Jesus prayed from the cross. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Later on, verse 15. The psalmist again addresses God. He's entrusting his life to the Lord. He says, my times are... In your hand. Verse 20. The the psalmist declares. Every ounce of his being. That the Lord holds his people safe. And that ministers to him. The Lord holds his people safe. Presumably holding them in his hands. Right? Verse 20. You hide them in the secret place of your presence. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. And conversely there's. Also, two other times in the psalm where there's another hand mentioned. Not the hand of God, not the hand of the Lord, but the hand of the enemy. Verse 8 says, You, O Lord, have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Verse 15, Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. See, David was convinced that the best, the absolute best place to be Uh, The best place to worship from, the best place to rest in, is in the hand of the Lord. That's where David's mind went to. That's where his heart went to. That's where he took his emotions to. My times are in your hand. Uh, I had a a Greek professor, Greek professor, um, in seminary, Dr. Farnell. Now, some of you know Dr. Farnell, so when I say the name... What comes to those individuals' mind is a very eccentric fellow. Um, he is he is a, a character, <laughs> uh, and there his to say the least. I'll spare you some of the details and the story. So, Doctor Farnell, uh, during our time in his class, uh, his class, uh, the Greek language, there would be men who would look up midway through the class, two weeks into the class, and they're already beaten up. Uh, they're way behind. They don't know how they're going to make it. Um, I guess to put it in another way, it's like going to language school and maybe trying to learn French and you're just, you're just beaten up by it, right? And, uh, so you, you guys are going to Dr. Farnell and they're, they're distraught. How am I ever going to catch up? I, I'm not, this language is going to get the best of me. And Dr. Farnell would always look at you with a smile. And I can still remember the smile. Um, guys coming to the, him just, just distraught. And he would look at them and he wouldn't even say anything. He would just do this. And he would do it all over campus to, to all the men in his class. 
And he communicated to all the men in this class because we knew what he was talking about. Because what Dr. Farnell communicated throughout his class was, I have you. <laughs> I'm going to walk through this with you. I have you right here. And so he would just say, you know, you, oh, okay. I give up, right? It's pointless coming to him because he's going to do this. But that's for me, that's the image of Psalm 31. I, I walk away and, and there's, there's my God and he's, he's doing this. He doesn't even have to say anything related. There's who he is and, and his hands are this and these hands are, are safe hands. <laughs> these hands are faithful hands and I, I need to look at that image and, and dwell there and rest there. Just the image of my God. And so, Two realities that we're going to chew on. First reality is this. Um, there's a very real sense where our lives are in the hand of God. And, and we do not need to take that lightly. We do not need to wash over that. As Eric said, verse 15, for, for David to say, my time is in your hand. We need that to wash over us. We need that to affect us. We need that to own us. So there's a very real sense where our lives are in the hands of a sovereign, faithful, good God. But this reality does not make us responseless either. There's also, while that reality is true and it's real and it's ever real, as profound as it is, there is a responsibility that's before us to render our lives in the hands of God. And we'll talk about what that looks like, those two realities kind of resting side by side, that my life is in his hands, but there's also a responsibility for me to walk in. And to live in where I am daily rendering my life in the hands of a good God. Uh, that's hard to do. We experience challenges in that task every day. And that's where Psalm 31 is instructed. This responsibility to place and render our lives in the hands of God. And, and we need to be trained in that responsibility. Why? Because... Living in that responsibility doesn't come natural to us. It's not our natural inclination. That's why David is going to end the psalm. He's going to direct his energy, exhorting the assembly to love the Lord. Right? Take courage. Hoping God. He's going to plead with them to hope in the Lord. And the reason David concludes in this way is because he has, he knows humanity. He knows his own sinful, short-sighted nature. And he knows that this is not our natural inclination. So he exhorts the people of God to take courage. Love the Lord. Be strong. Hope in the Lord. So if you're, if you're just writing notes tonight, if you were to write down two statements, they would be, um, they would be these. I'm going to just give you one and then we'll, we'll walk through some things and then I'll provide the second one. The first one is this. God's people are to rest in the safe hands of a faithful God. God's people are to rest in the safe hands of a faithful God. And his hands, God's hands are safe because of who he is. Um, his hands are always safe. His hands are always safe because he's always faithful. He's always good. There, there's nothing that we do that our rendering our lives unto him does not make his hands safe. His hands are safe because he's God. And so God's people are to rest in those hands. We, we don't have to construct anything. It's just that principle of resting in he who already is and always will be. And church, I think what's challenging for us just from the 
this raw, real, honest window into David's life is uh, we cannot trust in that which we do not know. Uh, we cannot rest in that which we do not that which we do not know. David's prayer, his this song is erupting from a knowledge base, and that this base is deep. It is wide. You just look at verse three. I mean, how did David view the hand of God? Who did he know his God to be? Verse three, three through four. God is my rock, my fortress, my strength. Verse five. He's the God of truth, whose hand. Reaches down the ransom. This is David's God. Verse 19. He is a God who is great in goodness. And he lavishes such goodness on those who fear him and take refuge in him. And for David. This is not just kind of theoretical knowledge. This is. This is a deep abiding knowledge. This is experiential knowledge for him. This is who he Knows his God to be just from the experience of his own life. He's, he knows of God's faithfulness. He dwells on God's grace to him. His, his loving kindness made marvelous. He just dwells on that. Look at verse 7. As David just communicates in prayer. God you're a loving God. You know my trouble. You know my affliction. Does that impact anyone tonight? That God know, God knows. I mean, we approach him in prayer. I already know, God, you know everything. You know the weight that I'm under, what I'm walking through. You know what the weight of, of my, my sister in the Lord here at this church and what she's passing through. God, you know this. Verse 8, you're a faithful God. You do not give us over to our enemies. And then you have verse 21, where he just responds and prays. God, you know our affliction. You do not give us over to the hand of our enemies. It says, blessed be the Lord. Lord, I, I think back on my life and you have made marvelous your loving kindness. I, I love that phrase. To me in a besieged city. He says, as for me, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard my voice, the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. You have made marvelous your loving kindness in a besieged city. Now this besieged city, you kind of... Think back in David's life. This, this is referencing a time. You, you, the record is in 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel 23 verses 1 through 14. You have this scenario in David's life. Uh, the Philistines have overrun a city of Kalah. And David goes before the Lord and says, Lord, should I go to Kalah and run out the Philistines? God says, go. David takes his men. Make a long story short. They enter in Kalah. Philistines go running. Um, so God delivers the city of Kilah um, through David. And so David and his men, as, as soon as the Philistines are running, the dust is still over the foothills. David receives word of something. And he receives word that Saul is coming. Saul is coming with men of war to besiege the city and take his life. And so the rest of that chapter is David going before the Lord. Asking for counsel and for guidance. The Lord gives him instruction. And he narrowly escapes the city before Saul arrives. He flees to the foothills. To the strongholds. And verse 14 of 1 Samuel 23 says this. Sitting in the foothills of the wilderness of Ziph. It says Saul hunted David day and night. But. God did not give him into his hands. You have made marvelous your loving kindness. In a besieged city. 
David pleads with the Lord. The Lord hears David's cry. And David, David knows his God. David knows of God's goodness. He knows that these hands are safe. <laughs> They're good and strong and faithful and true. And he's, he's praying this from that base. From that knowledge. I, I think the challenge for me is. Um, my prayer base needs to be a similar base. Um, and shamefully there's times where. My prayers are not coming from this. This base of depth. Um, and intimacy. I need to go before the Lord and say, God, I know you. I know your loving kindness. I know your goodness. I know your hands are safe. And my prayers need to reflect that. So I just encourage you, church, before we kind of move on to the second point, do you, do you know God's hands to be safe? Do you know what it is to rest in God's hands? I, mean, I think we all know what failure to rest looks like. Um, allowing anxiety to overtake you. Allowing worry to cripple you. Being debilitated by um, stresses and concerns. Your feelings, you don't know what to do with them and you lose control of the horse, so to speak. And no no longer are you controlling the horse, but the horse is controlling you. And, And we know this of in our own lives, we know people in our lives. You just want to take errant thoughts and rogue feelings and say, Lord, God's hands are safe. Would you trust him? Would you rest in him? He's faithful and good. We want to encourage people and we need to encourage ourselves just to look right here, right? Church, I encourage you to know your God. Know who, know who we pray to. Read First Samuel 23 and say, Lord, you have made your loving kindness marvelous. Look through the book of John. All of his loving kindness is made marvelous throughout. He's faithful. He's kind. He's good, right? He's gracious beyond what we deserve. And we pray from that base. We pray from knowing this. Well, secondly, not only are God's people to rest in the safe hands of a faithful God, but God's people are to render their lives in God's hands. God's people are to render their lives in God's hands. There's a very real and profound sense where our lives are in God's hands, regardless of what we do. Why? Because he's sovereign. (laughs) He's in control of all things. And so there's a very real and profound sense where we are in the hand of God. But the believer is also to strain and strive to render their life in the hand of God. Basically, God's hands are here and we are in them. But we're also doing this, saying, God, I am before you. Right? I am yours. I, I, I take all my emotions, all my concerns, all my anxieties, all my worries, and I just lay them at your feet. I render my life in your hands. This is that principle of, and John will see, Lord, I believe. Help my, help my unbelief, right? You see this exemplified in the psalm. And just kind of scan our eyes through, through it again, beginning at verse 1. It says, in you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Verse 2, be to me a rock of strength. Verse 5, and into your hand I commit my spirit. Verse 6, there, there are those who trust in vain idols. But he says, but I trust in you, Lord. 
I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness. And he says, Lord, there are those whispering despair and slander and ill will against me. But Lord, I look to you. I listen to you. Verse 14. Coming out of those circumstances that he just kind of marches through. Just one right after another. And they're just piling up. And he says, verse 14. But as for me, I trust in you. This, this is David. He's here. Right? But he's also doing this. Lord, I trust in you. To you belongs at all, belong, belongs at all. Oh Lord, I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Make your face shine on your servant. This, this, uh, act of rendering, this, this is challenging to me. I said, Lord, look over my life. Do you, do you often, frequently find me before your presence doing this? Lord, my life is in your hands. And I place all cares, all worries, all circumstances, and I, and I just lay them before your feet. Incline your ear. Be to me a rock of strength because I'm running and leaning upon you now. I'm rendering my life because I want to rest in your hands which are safe. Um, this is a challenge to me. Just this act of rendering. And you just kind of act at, ask what does an act of this act of rendering just look like tangibly in life. Um, you have all sorts of psalms which give us really wonderful pictures of what this act of rendering looks like. Other occasions in scripture. We recently uh, walked through the students just Psalm 42. Uh, just looking at spiritual de- just depression. And, and the psalm there, Psalm 42 verse 5, he says... Just He's talking to his soul. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God. So he's literally telling his soul to hope in God. Uh, Martin Lord-Jones says that Christians need need to start doing more talking to themselves than listening to themselves. Which communicates. He's connecting our despair and our depression oftentimes to the fact that we're listening to ourselves. And that just feeds the woe is me. It feeds the despair. It feeds the grief. And instead of listening to ourselves, we, we need to talk to ourselves. Why are you in despair, oh my soul? Hope in God. Soul, we will hope in God, right? This discipline of taking those thoughts and taking those feelings and, and doing this. Lord, I bring them to you. I render my life before you. Not not riding those thoughts, those errant thoughts. Not riding those feelings that would take us in inappropriate directions. But rendering those things to the Lord. And not resting in them. Not riding them, but rendering them. I think just two things as we kind of really walk through this psalm together. As we, in a moment, just pray through this psalm, pray through individuals' lives, concerns, burdens that we have, even in this church, and just have this psalm inform our praying. But just to give two closing remarks um, that you also just take notice of in Psalm 31. And and one is this, is, is just the way that, that David begins to end this psalm. And, and it's rest, for me, just I notice that rest for David leads to worship. Uh, rest... Uh, in God's safe hands, frees 
David to worship. Um, he says in verse 14, verse 21 rather, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. And this rendering his life, trusting the Lord, placing his life in, in the hands of a God who's faithful and true, just frees him. And the natural response coming out of that is, praise the Lord, right? Exalt the Lord, lift up the Lord. And and I, I appreciate that this morning. I think that was part of the many, many beautiful facets of worshiping with God's people corporately together. You, you're together, you're surrounded by individuals, and there are various lives, and there are heavy hearts in this place. There are heavy minds, uh, there are distracted individuals, there are weary individuals. And to see in, see such individuals, and we know their circumstances, and I see faces, and thinking, I, we, we're praying for you right now, and people saying, blessed be the Lord. I mean, just that rest leads to worship. It frees people to worship the Lord, to say, blessed be him who is good, who has made his marvelous, uh, his loving kindness marvelous. I think secondly, and just in closing, is that individual resting encourages others to rest. Um, and that's really the way this psalm ends. Uh, this David, he himself resting, encourages others to, to rest as well in God's hands. He kind of, he sort of gives this Corporate exhortation. He, he wants to communicate to the community of believers who are assembling, assembling together. He says, Oh, love the Lord. Verse 23. All you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who hope in the Lord. So God's people were to gather together and they were to worship in and through this psalm. With the end of the psalm really being used to exhort and press and push God's people to love the Lord and to hope in Him. Uh, I think you can probably speak to a number of scenarios in your own life where you are encouraged by individuals who, who really model this. Individuals in your life, saints who trust the Lord. Um, and they're trusting and they're resting. What does that do? It just encourages you to rest. And encourages you to trust. I want to love the Lord. I have a brother in Christ and I just look at his life and his life, his example is encourage me to love the Lord, be strong, take courage, hope in God. There are many people in this church that they serve in that way in my life and I'm grateful for them. Um, individual resting encourages others to rest.